welcome to another episode of Tunes Make. This is episode 18, and I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And today, we're going to catch up with Thomas Mulready that started a couple things. One, he started something called Cool Cleveland, which is a newsletter that's geared toward artists that are visiting. And really, he wanted to just start something to inform people that while you're in Cleveland, here are some performing arts or some things you can check out that actually turned into more of a consumer-based newsletter that informs people locally. And then also he started another thing called Ingenuity Fest. It's actually a big event that happens every year where all these technologists come from around and talk about technology. But then I caught up with him asking me about his new venture, which is he calls it Evenings With. So let's this evening discover David Bowie and his influence. He's going to be doing something coming up in October that he's calling Punktober, which is the advent of punk and how that started. And actually, there are some roots in Cleveland, and he's been interviewing local Cleveland artists that actually have roots in the punk scene, which I didn't realize that Cleveland actually has those roots. So he's catching up and doing that. So there was a lot to unpack here in this interview. And I do think it's interesting how nowadays you're kind of losing some of that effect with digital music. You don't sit down, you don't have a CD anymore. You don't have an album. You don't open up an album and, and stare at it while you're listening to it. It's just kind of this vaporware or invisible music. And it's really hard to get into music now because it's so single oriented. Yeah. You know, the, the changing, environment of music and music industry is something of, of significance. In a lot of ways, though, it's actually going back to the way it was, well, 65 years ago. You know, in the late 50s, in the early 60s, you know, the album wasn't that big of a deal. And what you do is, if you're Elvis or Chuck Berry or, you know, you name it, you had these hit singles. And a lot of times you would then maybe put a number of them together to, to make an album so that people could collect them all together. And it was really in the 60s that the whole concept of the album became a thing. And then in the 70s, it really took hold. I mean, the, the Beatles did a lot for this, the Stones, you know, stuff like that, where they, they had, you know, the idea of a concept album, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, uh, Satanic Majesty's Request, that kind of stuff. And then that leads to the 70s, and you got, you know, album-oriented rock, progressive rock, and all that stuff where the album really became the staple. And then you kind of always had a mix, right? So you had artists who were more single-oriented and artists who were more album-oriented. But certainly the, the listening practices were based then around album-type things, whether it was on album or 8-track or cassette or CD. For several decades now, that's been the, the listening medium, and that's changed in the last decade or so, decade to two decades, and, you know, so basically since the turn of the, the millennium. And so I think that there's some validity to the idea that it's different and we may not do what we used to do where we sit down with an album or those of us who do it, we're old school, right? We just, that's what we're used to doing, but we still don't do that. I mean, I have tons of stuff that I, yeah, I listen to a song or I listen to one or two songs by an artist rather than kind of sit down with the whole album the way we, you know, we used to do even you and I back in college. You know, I'd get Richard Marx's newest CD or we'd get Van Halen's newest CD or something. And, you know, we stick it in and let's listen to the whole thing. But I also think that part of it's that it's just different. You know, I listen to stuff that 
I never would have necessarily listened to 30 years ago, or I, I venture out a little in some ways, in some directions that I might not have recognized because of the, the changing nature of things. Yeah. And we started talking about the fact that music, just looking at the liner notes, and you know, I'd go through and mm-hmm. right now, for example, if I go ahead and I don't know, let's, let's look at it, go to iTunes and I can download the track. You can still look and see, you know, who wrote the song and who it was produced by. But I found it interesting recently where I was downloading music there and then I actually went and I bought a CD and the information was off. <laughs> so it was like the, the, the songwriter was not even listed on the iTunes track, but it was listed on the CD. And I was like, there's, so now there's even a discrepancy between mediums. And for mm-hmm. me, uh, maybe it's just because I like knowing that kind of thing. And it, it kind of connects me a little more to the artist going, oh, well, they actually contributed to it. And then when I'm listening to it, I'm thinking about that. And I think most people are just plunking in a CD and listening to it. And maybe I'm making an assumption there. But I do find it, as you were saying, is this kind of philosophy of listening and and putting together a mixtape. And you've got playlists now that you can put together on Spotify, which is probably similar, where now I can just put together this playlist. and I can see there's a growing community of people that want that that sound whether that's from vinyl they there's some folks that say only listening to vinyl is, is the cleanest way because you know it's there's deeper grooves and there's a different listen to it as compared to a cd and some people even say oh you go to spotify the mp3s they're uploading there are complete garbage <laughs> and you should go over to something called title which is more sophisticated so I'm wondering, as is this music audience keeps growing, will there be a shift? Will people start wanting something more? And you're seeing people buying vinyl and, and buying cassettes and, and switching over to these different mediums. There's got to be a reason why. And I can't pinpoint it. Maybe there's something from pop culture side that says why this is happening. And maybe it's just people want to feel that physical thing, Mm -hmm. but I'm seeing there is some kind of shift to people wanting something more when it comes to the quality of the audio. Well, this is the kind of stuff that Jose writes about on the site that if you really read some of his posts, he and I have talked about it independently too. And he, he's really kind of thought about this a lot, examined it, talked to people about it. And I think a lot of the stuff that he writes really captures the idea of what it's like, because you're sitting down with this, as you say, you know, the liner notes, we could add the album art into there. That's a different experience. And, and I think what you mentioned about mentioning songwriters, mentioning people who were part of the production that otherwise wouldn't get recognition if you just have the song on iTunes or wh- wherever, and they, they maybe give the artist and maybe the primary writer or something like that. Or The thing about liner notes was that they gave us a sense of all the people who went into the making of this in the same way that watching the credits at the end of a movie is. And I think, you know, you've always had these different audiences. Movies are a good example of this. There are people who, when they go to see a movie, they don't leave until the end of the credits because it's almost, they see it as disrespectful to the people who were part of the making of that movie, not to sit and, you know, see their names scroll past. And it's the same kind of thing with this, that 
liner notes were the way to read that stuff or at least acknowledge the people who went into the production of this because for every artist who's out there and we know you know the name right kesha rihanna you name it right that they're one part of the entire production of this and so many different people touch the production of music from the songwriter to the producer to the person who's running the board to you know you name it to the marketing people who set up the image and promote the album and you know all kinds of and the in, people who are inspirations for things and that it's a different kind of experience and and so then when you talk about vinyl there are some real there's a real audience there that this is what I want to do I want to hear this experience and they do they talk about the idea that it's continuous in the same in a way that digital music isn't the digital image is more discreet. You've got this song and then this song, whereas the side of an album, it's one continuous groove. And so there's a, a continuity to the listening experience. That's part of it. The idea that it picks up things that the the digital might not pick up that are part of the, the ambiance or environment of things. There's a number of reasons why people really value it. There's nostalgic reasons but there are listening experiences and it's about what kind of listening experience you want to have. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And the thing that I heard you talking about, I just started thinking about it. It's interesting. It's, I think the thread that this interview with Thomas Mulready jumped into my mind was the fact that he kept saying that art gives people hope. And what that means is behind the artist there are many other people that are helping out and sometimes it just takes a small spark for someone to listen to a song and put them into a different mood or give them hope knowing that there are others out there that are in the same predicament mm -hmm. and i guess the music shows that there are other people behind that artist helping them get there and i want to be part of that too and i think Music is one of those sources mm -hmm. that no matter how you're feeling, and right now we're in the middle of this coronavirus, and there's a lot of people that are turning to music and to art to keep going down a path and inspire them. And I can't imagine how many songs are being inspired right now because of where we are. And I think that's the thing that always drives me about music is it can take you to another place, put you into another mood and inspire you. And I think that's one of the threads here, whether it's he started Cool Cleveland because he wanted to give artists hope that there's other art out there. He started Technology Ingenuity Fest to give people the spark to think about their creativity can be turned into something positive into technology. And then his new project, which is bringing people around to understand like this artist this person that you probably know nothing about let me tell you something about it and then we're going to perform with our band some of that artists i just spoke about hits and then introduce you to some new music that we wrote as well to inspire you it really seems like there's a theme at the basis everything that you just said the theme that really comes out to me is bringing people together music brings people together in various ways and it seems like that seems that's a thread that's going on in all of the projects that he does well let's take a listen we'll jump in listen to thomas Mulready, and then we'll swing back and wrap up the episode all right, welcome to another episode of Tunes Made. I'm joined with Thomas Mulready. Hey, Mark. Hey, Thomas. 
How's it going? Good to see you again, man. Yeah, same here. I'm excited because I know that the core of your being is music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we've shared this common bond for many years. Yeah. And I know it's led to not only you being in a few successful bands here in the area, but then also you are the creator of Cool Cleveland. Right. And I know that came from being around arts exactly. and wanting to make local artists aware of everything that Cleveland has to offer. Exactly. And then from there, you've tripped into Ingenuity Fest was also yeah. was something that you did. Sure. And now you've got a new venture where you are essentially, I guess, telling the world how many of the most essential mm -hmm. musical artists have developed the sounds that are now shaping our lives. So exactly. I know there's a lot there to unpack, but right. <laughs> talk first talk about how did you get involved with starting Cool Cleveland and then right. there was a music, there's always a music thread to there's that. There's a thread to that. All how did through. that start? Yeah, it goes back, you know, <laughs> to when I was 11 years old and starting to play drums. But, you know, I was in bands all the way through like everybody was and not to downplay it, but I, I actually got pretty fed up with rock and roll in you know after the punk movement really which kind of came and just cleaned house you know and i was in some bands after that but i had lost my energy and it was the same time we kind of moved to europe and i i literally sold all five drum sets that i had at the time i swore i'd never play rock and roll again when i was over in europe i had a chance to read some of my poetry and i wanted to kind of come out from behind the drum set and I wanted to, you and I were talking about team members and who's the lead and who's the backup. And, you know, I wanted right. to be more of the lead. I had a lot of things to say. So I put a solo show together. A performance art show is what it really was with theater and audience interaction and music because music was always important. So mm -hmm. that led to meeting James Levin, who came to one of my performances and said, wow, what are you doing here? This doesn't look like anything he was familiar with because he had done alternative theater in New York at La Mama and he came here and he was starting up Cleveland Public Theater and he says man this is totally different even than the avant-garde theater crap that I've been mm -hmm. you know used to so he said come down to West 65th in Detroit and I did and this was way before it was an arts district where there were any restaurants or I mean there was not even a place to get a cup of coffee and I'm like dude what are we doing here you know it's like the theater district's downtown, you know? And he's like, no, it's going to be cool. And he kind of talked me into starting this performance art festival. So I was really into performance art just for myself doing the work. But as an artist, you want to see other work, you know? So you start going to other shows. And if you have a chance to put on a show, you're going to invite whoever is of interest to you, which is what we did. We put a panel together. We basically invited everybody we knew who did performance art. And it kind of grew. It caught on. The funding caught on. So we ended up doing that for like 12 years. Yeah. Presented a thousand artists, you know, from 24 countries right there. Cleveland Public Theater, we broke off and formed our own 501c3. You know, not without some damage and some dings and some bumps you know, along the almost way. getting arrested a few times. But, you know, that's the fun of it, right? Yes. So I had sort of abandoned really my own music and I, and I went into performance art, you know. But I eventually found my way back mm -hmm. and really... I uh, played with like Cats on Holiday, doing kind of Roots stuff. Remember that? Yeah, played with a rockabilly band and really started stripping my drums down and starting over again, like like mm -hmm. rock and roll did when it mm -hmm. started. You know, there was really just one drum with brushes and it was so awesome and you, the sounds you can get. So I kind of stripped down and started over and, you know, 
then I really got interested in, just like I had done with the Performance Art Festival, I was feeling that way with this entire community, which was, why are we not hearing about all the cool people I know, all the other artists that are doing cool stuff? Can I say stuff? All the cool shit <laughs> that's going on around here because they were not getting any play in the mainstream media. And this was like hmm. 2002, and mm -hmm. I had been trained in the internet, self-trained, really. I had done a few corporate jobs where I knew that the internet was going to blow up and the internet was going to change everything. And I also knew that email was, it was going to happen big time. It was going to be what we call the killer app. And when you think about it, without email, a lot of people wouldn't have gotten a computer. They wouldn't have gotten online. You know, that was the thing that got them going. And it's still a killer app. It is. So I decided to start just a little email between myself and my friends, other artists like yourself. You were there early. You were a pioneer. You and I were in the first web association, what it was called, you know, getting things going in this community. There were, there were very few of us, really. Right. It was like Al Gore, you, me, right? We were inventing the internet. So, um, yeah. So it started there, and yeah. that kind of snowballed into many other ventures. Because I know right. Cool Cleveland, yes, it started as email newsletter. Mm -hmm. But then you started as other emerging technology started jumping up, yeah. whether it was podcasting yep. or I guess you would call it a vlog or, or right. some nature exactly. of that. But it was always going back to the art and connecting people. And I think that's yes. the thing that always intrigued me about the message right. that was there. Yeah. It was always, how do we use this technology to connect each other, to discover new music and art and theater and stuff that's going on and to build the community. So for me, whether it was podcasting, which we were doing in 03, 04, we had our son. I remember. Yeah, he did a Cool Cleveland Kids podcast that he would read with his, with his little kid voice. All the stuff that was just for kids and families. We started with video, you know, before YouTube even was around. It was so cool when they invented YouTube because I was like, you mean they're going to let me post my videos for free? I don't have to like host them and pay for bandwidth. Exactly. So, but we've been doing those. I mean, I've done over 2,000 of those video mm -hmm. interviews of cool local right. people. So it's always for us about local. It's always about art. It's always about how do we use the technology mm -hmm. in a way that benefits us as a society, as citizens. It was never about making money. It's not the way Facebook has taken and perverted this into destroying, you know, democracy and taking money from anybody that'll pay and letting people lie. I mean, you know, stealing their data, their identities. I, it's really, it's almost embarrassing. I don't know how you feel because you and I, we started this, like I said, and look where it's happened, you know? It's definitely taken a turn. Man. And I do think it is interesting how I know we mentioned Ingenuity Fest earlier, but I think it, the thing that always gets me is how many great music artists have come out of Cleveland and, right. and really infiltrated the industry and right. changed it. Right. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot of folks that have stood up to using big data in, in bad yeah. ways, but even bands have stood up to, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Devo from Akron that mm -hmm. have stood up and said, you know, we're, we're going to go a different direction. We're yeah. going to shake things up. Yeah. And I know that for all the artists that are out there and, are trying to get connected in this new world. It's there definitely is a hill to get over. Yeah, but it's hard to fight. You know the powers that be. 
you mentioned mm-hmm. Devo. We're yeah. we're actually going to be featuring them in in a show that we're going to be coming up with in October of 2020. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, because we've been doing shows now on the history of like uh, David Bowie did the Beatles, glam rock, all sorts of different where where we'd go and do research and mm-hmm. dig up the backstories behind the music. Like, how did the artists figure this out? You know, what influenced them? Right. What process did they go through? Because you're currently in a band, Vanity... Vanity Crash. Right. So um, we're back now doing rock and roll, and Vanity Crash has been around for a while. I just joined a few years ago. But what turns out, when we do a David Bowie show, and, you know, I'm digging up all this research and putting basically a presentation. It's almost like a performance art thing again with, you know, projections. Welcome back. (laughs) And welcome back. Video, rare outtakes to trace the artist's sort of backstory it made perfect sense that vanity crash because they were doing that kind of music you know so we bundled Mm -hmm. them together and the first half of these shows is my presentation with video and it's very much like trivia and contests and we love working with the audiences and then at you take an intermission and then the band comes out and i think it's important because we do some of the artists that we're discussing, whether it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Velvet Underground. We talk about when Andy met Lou, when Andy Warhol and Lou Reed got together and formed that, that first Velvet Underground album, which is so influential. Or whether we talk about David Bowie. Our band, Vanity Crash, does some of those songs, but we also do our own originals. And we do them in mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. that shows how we've been influenced now by these artists. So we show the artists and their influences. And now we show how we are continuing on that continuum, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're taking it to the next logical step. That's really interesting because I think part of our music podcast and our blog is trying to get people out of the doldrums of Mm -hmm. their listening experience, Mm -hmm. trying to find new music and new artists. And I think it's interesting how most people don't realize that the artist they're listening to is influenced by someone else. Right. Or the one they're listening to now is influencing someone else. Correct. It goes in both directions. You're tying that all together. Right. But it would be nice as people are inspired that they actually realize how to infuse that music in their lives too. Right. I think it is. You know, it depends. You and I are very serious about music. We're musicians, (laughs) right? Too serious. Way too serious sometimes. (laughs) But we know a lot and we care a lot. And I love some of the streaming stuff now. We use Tidal. We use Rune. I don't know if, if anybody's familiar with it, but it brings up all this metadata as you're, you know, listening, which tells you it's got the lyrics. It might have a video mm-hmm. attached. It tells you who's playing on it with the credits, and you can click on names. You're like, oh, he played drums on this. What else did he play? Oh, he's in this other band. And so it becomes this web. And when you're interested in the music, you want more that's related to it, not necessarily mm-hmm. the same. Okay, I don't like more of the same. It's more like. Well, how'd they get here? And what were they doing before this? You know, as you know, there's this little secret trick. When you like a certain album by a band, go find the album just before it. And you, I'll bet you're going to like it, and I'll bet it's going to be different, but it's going to have enough of the album that you love in it to show you how they made a move from where they were. Now, you and I will probably go to the one before that and the one before that, you know, and we'll be waiting for the new one as it comes out and the outtakes and the remixes. That's the stuff that I become fascinated with demo tapes of these artists to hear what their original vision was mm-hmm. and then you hear how the producer took it and man it went in a totally different direction maybe or man, when they finally got the band they needed and mick ronson finally joined david bowie and they became the spiders from mars with you know mick woodmansey 
Woody Woodmansey and Trevor Boulder. And all of a sudden, Mr. David Bowie, who was sitting there cross-legged playing his little folk music, space oddity kind of stuff, all of a sudden he's got this rock band that just mm -hmm. rocks the world. So finding those inflection points in an artist's career and history are fascinating. Hmm. But it also leads us into the future. We do not, it's not just about looking back. We have a really rich history to look back on. And we're so lucky to have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here and archives where you can actually go and mm -hmm. study this stuff and hear from people. And you've had the opportunity being part of the media to be a part of all these Rock Hall inductions. We it's do. going to be here in Cleveland this year again. Exactly. And what a lineup this year well every there. year there's something to learn you know we were backstage last year in in new york and wherever it is yeah having that access is nice but i have to tell you just being you know a citizen here a civilian in cleveland you can go to these programs they put together True. where they bring in engineers and producers and collaborators and then they bring in the artists you know mm -hmm. i did a fan day for rush a couple months ago and interviewed getty lee there were 4,000 people lined up outside the Rock Hall for 400 seats, you know? I mean, that band, because they started here. They have a history here in Cleveland. So, you know, having the access is nice, yes, but everyone in this town, and if you live in Cleveland, by the way, the Rock Hall's free now because of this grant they got. Really? So, absolutely, for 10 years. So there's no excuse not to go and read the labels, dig in a little more, put the headphones on, and find out what is behind this music that I love so much. Just follow your own passion. I'm not saying go do homework or study or, or anything like that. You know, it's just homework. Just start with where you are and just dig around a little and see what else you find. That's you know? great advice because I think in this world of singles, most people are downloading that single or they're streaming it. Right. And they've got these playlists that they're building, but they're really not diving into it. But I feel like that advice, going back, checking out what album did that single come from and yeah. then looking at the album before it. Yeah. Because I'm always amazed by artists that pay homage yes. to another and they'll, they'll do a cover and say, mm -hmm. you know, this is my cover. Yeah. One of the greatest things that I'm always intrigued about is trying to find that cover of an artist that someone did that no one knows about. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there are so many great songs out there that are people are influenced by. And it just takes a little digging. But well, it's a couple clicks. It's kind of easier now because everything's sort of online, right? So right. it is easier if you take a little bit of effort. On the other hand, everybody seems to be so much busier now. Remember, we used to sit around and actually listen to music. I mean, you know, somebody'd buy an album, right? And we couldn't all afford it, so we'd all go over to their house, you know, and we'd sit around sit down. and look at the cover, have a beverage or whatever it was, and yeah, you'd look at the album cover, you know, the liner notes. You'd listen to side A, and then you flip it over and listen to side B, and then you flip it back over. And, you know, you'd spend time with it, and you'd spend time with it as an album. That's the other thing that's different now. As you say, right. it's all singles, and that doesn't allow the artist a lot of time to get their point across, in my opinion. Whereas with an right. album, they may have a couple of different flavors, and the songs kind of sound slightly different from each other, and not every song is going to sound like that single. Right. And then maybe the whole thing, I mean, the Beatles started this, or David Bowie with Ziggy Stardust, where there's a concept behind the entire album. We've got artists now that are doing it. Kendrick Lamar does this, Arcade Fire. You know, there's a lot of artists that are doing concept albums out there. But if you just listen to a single or whatever's streaming right now and being pushed at you, remember, 
if you're not out there doing what you and I are talking about and digging and requesting and searching, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then you're getting fed by the corporate powers that be what they want you to hear. Okay. And the version they want you to hear and the artist they want you to hear. So you've got to get off that you've got to do it and do it yourself, but you can do it. Yeah. I've been doing, I've actually not been listening to much music lately. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. So I've been trying to right. kind of get behind the music of artists and trying yeah. to understand where they're coming from. And it is interesting to hear their backstory and how they got to where they oh, are. Dude, look at this. I you see all these <laughs> all of these records here for the next show. You see all these books? <laughs> you're you're doing your okay. own you're doing your own research. This is the research. <laughs> I've got I've got libraries of stuff here mm -hmm. getting ready for our next show. And mm -hmm. so yeah, you're not just doing it by listening to music. You're doing it by reading up on what journalists have to say, by finding interviews with artists, talking about their own music, talking about other artists. Right. Find out what that artist is passionate about too, whether it's a cause or whether it's music or whether it's other artists. Mm -hmm. Because if you like what they're giving you, there's chances are you're going to enjoy what makes them passionate mm -hmm. as well. So that's the part I really love is I know the music. You and I have been listening to some of this music for all our lives, basically. What else is there? And that to me, that's it's like there's, there's new discovery all the time. And it's not, like I said, just a nostalgic looking back. It really isn't for the way I do it anyways. It's about researching, about digging out the next layers. It's about seeing who influenced who in what direction and finding other influences and other bands, other artists that you weren't familiar with. And then what's it all headed to? And so I always balance this stuff because we do listening sessions here where we have a, a good stereo turntable and we'll go around the room of a few people and everybody gets to pick what they want to hear. And we'll see if we have it on vinyl. If we don't have it on vinyl, we're going to find it on streaming. Okay, we'll find it somewhere. But What's interesting is we try to blend in not just your nostalgic favorites. So, oh, I want to hear my favorite song from way back when. Mm -hmm. But also, gee, if you like that, check out this artist. It was very much influenced by that artist. And they're taking it in a different direction. I mean, I get into That's Harry it. Styles, okay? <laughs> you know, from one direction. I mean, come on. I, I should be, you know, humiliated for saying that, right? Because who... Wait a minute. I was actually going to tell you something about that. So yeah. recently, I was checking out the Harry Styles album. Mm -hmm. And I noticed, I went into iTunes, mm -hmm. and so I, I, got, I bought the actual physical CD, and then I was looking at what was in iTunes. And what's interesting is, in iTunes, it didn't list him as a co-writer, but on the actual disc, it said every song, it had his name, and then there was two other co-writers. So I'm thinking... If you were absorbing this by digital, you would think like Harry Styles had nothing to do with any of this music at all because it listed it differently. Right. So right. that went into my whole thing about the difference between a physical yeah. and digital yeah. and how there's some divide between yeah. those two things and there's something missing. But I was actually, exactly, I was uh -huh. going to bring that example Seriously. up and then you yeah. just mentioned There's a lot of metadata that you're not given at right. first, you know, listen. You know, we have Alexa, and so you can stop Alexa at any time and say, what is this? What's playing? And they'll tell you the name of the song and the artist, and maybe if you're lucky, the album or something. But they're not going to give you the rest of the med. It's a start anyways, okay? It's a start. But, I mean, you and I are also DJs part-time, and right. so we think like a DJ. And a DJ doesn't just show up at a party. They have a playlist in mind. 
they right. have done their homework and their research, whether it's a Halloween thing or a holiday thing or an office party or if it's just friends. You've exactly. done your research and you prepared with tracks, okay? So the metadata is really important when it comes to that. You know that one song leads into another really well, right? Exactly. There's segues you want to do. Things you, you want to say. And in your case, I love what you do because you love mashups where two, right. they'll take two different songs and mash them up together. They're powerful. Because they, A, sound maybe similar or B, don't sound similar, but when you put them on top of each other, they're awesome. And I've thrown these yeah. into the middle of a party where we got the dance floor just rocking. And then you'll throw one of these mashups in and they'll be dancing to what yeah. they think is one thing. And all of a sudden, and that's what's beautiful right. too, these connections, these little lights that go off. Recently, there was one that made me laugh. I saw it come up. It was George Michael, mm -hmm. Everything She Wants, which is this very poppy kind of synthy kind of sound mm -hmm. and they put the vocals of popular song dance monkey mm -hmm. over the top mm -hmm. of it you know there's no way that's gonna work and you're like all of a sudden you're you want to yeah. you're thinking of george michael but then you're also thinking of right. the latest and greatest right. song and you're like i am so right. confused i don't know what's happening but i'm going to dance but and also multi-generational yes and we hang out with younger people and not just folks our own age because in my case, it's selfish. I want to know what they're listening to. I want to know what turns <laughs> them on. Research. I'm doing research, baby. <laughs> doing Sit research. down. Tell me what you want to hear. Yeah. And it's cool when they're on the dance floor, too, with the mixed group, because right. one group will be digging on the sort of vintage stuff. The other group will love the other half of mm -hmm. the mashup because it's yeah. the newer thing. And the older people don't even know what it is. What's, but, you know, it's, happening. it's interesting. Yeah, it is fun. To. That's great. So yeah. I want to be respectful on time, but... I guess I was thinking about, for you, I know that there's a lot coming up in the future part of not only performance for yourself, but yeah. what about you know, on your venture of things coming up? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that people we, should check out or discover? Yeah, we've kind of gotten into this rhythm now with this new, new project called This Analog World, which is our mm -hmm. sort of music and culture. The, the combination yeah. performance. Yeah, arts. and it's pretty still wide open. But the way it's settled out is January is David Bowie's birthday, January 8th, and his death anniversary, January 10th. So for about five years now, we've been scheduling shows around those dates. So this year we had uh, over three weeks, we had seven shows in like four different venues. Sold them all out, which was cool. Standing room. And people Amazing. really dig the format where we have these presentations that start things off. And then the band comes out and it gets real cathartic and real loud and you can dance. So that kind of happens every January. And then we're doing a different show in the fall every year. So last year we did When Andy Met Lou with Andy Warhol, Lou Reed, Velvet Underground. And coming out of that one, we realized that punk rock kind of flowed out of Velvet Underground. You know, they were very influential. That first album of theirs that Andy Warhol produced, quotes, was so influential to the punk movement that I started getting interested in the birth of punk in this region because we have bands like Devo, like The Waitresses, like Chrissy Hines started here and started The Pretenders and The Dead Boys were like the epitome of punk in New hmm. York and they started here. You know, Perubu. Didn't know that. Huge, tremendous bands. The Waitresses got had a hit. You know, there was a good case to be made that punk rock fomented here in this region. And there's lots of people in this region still to talk to. So I've started to interview people. Chris Butler from The Waitresses, 
just talked to Robert Kidney from the Numbers Band, which Jerry Casale from Devo and Chris Butler from the Waitresses all came through. And they're doing their 50th anniversary concert this week. So we've got an interview with him. And I'll be using excerpts of these interviews in a show that we're calling The Birth of Punk in Cleveland, Akron, and Kent. And we're going to do those in October. We're calling it Punktober. And then we're going to back it up with When Andy Met Lou as sort of the first night. So we'll do two nights in each venue. We'll do a Thursday night when Andy met Lou and, and the Velvet Underground. And then the Friday night in the same venue, we'll do the punk show on the birth of punk. And then we'll go to another venue for Saturday and Sunday and do the two shows again. And so we're going to move through the region in October with those two shows. So mm-hmm. these things have sort of been writing themselves. They kind of rear their heads. You know, it's part people making requests, coming to the shows. We've got a real sort of community now of people who've been following what we're doing and they kind of get it because it's different I, I don't know anyone else that's doing this on this level it's part what you get out of what the rock hall does or i was at the new york public library the day that laurie anderson donated lou reed's letters to the new york public library and i was in there doing research and they're doing a series of events celebrating their their research like we have the rock hall library and archives it's part that but it's not as academic i've turned it into more of a performance more of a Mm-hmm. A really fun event with right. with interactivity and trivia questions, and you know we did through a birthday party for him last year, and we had balloons and everything. So and then the band comes out, and this is what's missing, I think. A lot of times when the academics get going, is right. you need a band to come out and take it to the next level, so that people who come and love the music, all right, I've listened to you talk about it for an hour. Right. Let's show dance. Me, show me the music. Show me the music. <laughs> And I love what we do with Vanity Crash because we very much do some of the music that we're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. historical music, but then we do our own originals. It's about 50-50, and we show how we're influenced Mm -hmm. by these great artists and sort of one possible future for this stuff, you know, like through line. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're taking this approach because I think that's how you can bring people in is it's fun. So yeah. and then they get to learn about something. Yeah, yeah. And then, right. the, at, then at the same part, they can be influenced and learn about how they can actually bring new music into their lives. Because I think, I think so. that's the challenge. I think so. I, I think it does. It helps you realize hmm. it doesn't just stop with you know your desert island discs that you, you've loved for your whole life, and that's all you're going to ever love. We know psychologically the brain once you've gone through your life changes, and once you've gone through from your hmm. teens into your 20s, and then maybe you start settling down, getting married, having kids, whatever it is, in those late 20s, early 30s, you kind of stop picking up on new music. I think we know that. I think we need to fight against it. Got to break the cycle. We got to break that cycle. It's Like I said, it's sort of easy now because there's so much streaming available. I would highly recommend not listening to Spotify. It sounds like crap. The MP3s are so compressed, you can't hear anything. I would get on some high res. Mm-hmm. We use Tidal. There's uh, Amazon HD. There's a whole bunch of options that, that allow you to get a high definition, a higher resolution of audio. And upgrade your damn stereos, people. I mean, you're listening to this crap through the little one-inch speaker in your iPhone or some stupid Bluetooth speaker over in the corner. You're not hearing the damn music the way the artist wanted to. No, it's true. It's not trivial. Back in the day... We were all sort of budding audiophiles, too. Anyone that was interested in music, correct? Boombox had 
had a that small was, stereo system. Those were serious yeah. boom boxes, right? Right. People were building serious stereo systems because they loved the music. And in order to really hear what's going on. So that's my thinking is hmm. get better quality music. And also, don't just listen to what they're feeding you. Don't just listen to the streams or the playlists they put together. Do a little research on your own. Dig, Build dig backwards, dig forwards, and find those connections and discover new stuff. And mm -hmm. I think there's a whole world out there that I don't know how people can be depressed or in despair about the world right now. I realize politically it's a cluster right now. Okay, I get that. But when you realize that art and culture speaks to this and gives you hope and gives you a vision for the future, for community, there's no reason for despair, you know? And it doesn't take that much work. Mark, you've been doing it your whole life, man. You are an inspiration to me. You, you continue to follow your passion. And that's why I just hang around people like you. Anyone who's not hey, doing that. Same across you, You know, but anyone that's not doing that, I got no time for, you know? <laughs> follow your passion. You're going to be working at your best. You're going to stay at the top of your game. And you're probably going to hopefully make some money on the side, at least enough to get you through. It's not about the money, but it's about enough so that you can get through. Oh, you can show up the next day. Show up the next day and do it again. <laughs> so what about you? So how do people find out more information? Obviously, coolcleveland.com. Correct. Thevanitycrash.com. Yep, for the band, right? And how else do they? Do we have two sites for the shows. Mm -hmm. One is bowieshows.com. Mm -hmm. And we just launched a new one, punkshows.us, okay. for these punk shows we got coming up. Nice. So, But Cool Cleveland is sort of the core of it because we promote all this other stuff through Cool Cleveland. And it's an easy one once a week email that you get. And that's still as popular as ever after 17 years that we've been doing it. And excuse me if we put our own projects in there, too, because we think they're just as cool as some of the stuff that we promote. It's your original. It it's is. It's just like the band. So you got to mix in some of the originals with, with some of the fresh. music that inspires you. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. If you haven't gathered all this into your brain, you definitely should check out Cool Cleveland and figure out how to merge some new music into your life. Thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure catching Same up with you. Here. We could Same talk here. for weeks. Well, that, that just means we have part two coming up in the future. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the interview. What's interesting is we also have Jose Diaz that is continually writing, and Ray had mentioned that in the intro, about vinyl and its impact and culture. And we are working on bringing him in to the podcast. So we'll be definitely tapping into his knowledge around this subject matter. And you've, Ray, you've had many conversations with him about this. Yeah, that's kind of, it was the conversations he and I had had at various points that led us to ask him to, to join the site. And he's, you know, he's been with us over a year, writing some great stuff on there. He goes, he writes on vinyl. He does stuff with playlists. And he also, he started his new feature. He's been looking at record stores that he goes to. He goes to local and independent record stores and it's the same kind of feel, right? This idea of a record store and especially a local place, not like a national chain, but a local used and independent record store. And again, that's a place that brings people together. That's a place that inspires people. It's a place that you find stuff you wouldn't otherwise necessarily know about. And so, yeah, looking forward to bringing him into these podcasts. Yeah, me too. That's the thing is this podcast is a complete reflection of Tunesmate. And with the blog, there's so many things that you should tune into. If you're not subscribing to the podcast, please subscribe. 
We are going to continually bring you new episodes, bring in some new guests. As Ray just said, we're going to bring Jose in. We also have some other music artists that we're reaching out to that will hopefully be on here. And if there's somebody you want us to interview, someone you're interested in, please let us know. We do have some up and coming artists that we've reached out to that we're going to be bringing onto the podcast, talking about many other different music genres. So this is your avenue. This is the way that we connect with you on a different level because we can write all day talking about the 80s and mashups and vinyl. But this is the way we connect with you, too. We've had some topics that people have suggested and we love jumping in and giving our opinion on them. So, you know, half the time, Ray, I don't know if we can ever shut up on here, but uh, that's that's our goal is is, is uh, we, we want to bring you basically an extension of the site. Yep. More of the idea that, you know, music is what matters. And it, it's really something that that we we focus on on Tunes Made is songs and songwriting and music and the power of music. And this is just one more avenue for providing that. Yeah. And I got to tell you, every time I log into the site, which obviously is daily, I'm learning something new, whether it's it's the latest daily 80s flashback, a song I totally forgot about, or I thought about, hey, wait a minute, that song? Oh my gosh. And you get the flood of memories that come back as well. Mm-hmm. And then I'm telling you that it's been five years since I go, what are you talking about? Yeah. There's no way that was five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Did, recently we had uh, Ellie Goulding, the love me like you do from, from 50 shades of gray. And I, you know, I remember that my wife listened to that soundtrack in the car and my son loves that song. And you know, that was five years ago. Wow. Yeah, it was, you know, yep. That's the stuff that, I know hurts sometimes because you realize time's flying by, but that's the kind of thing where, you know, we're even bringing up songs that have been theoretically just out. I mean, five years, that may seem like a long time, but they're still being played in every list you can think of like there's no tomorrow. So hopefully we continue to keep inspiring. Please subscribe. And thanks for listening to Tunes Mate. Once again, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. We will see you next time.